If you want an example of the TV cop whose supposed integrity is maintained in spite of procedural, ethical, and moral lapses, consider Elliot Stabler. For 12 seasons of Law & Order SVU, Elliot raged and threatened and caught bad guys, and he still got to be drawn as the good guy. Now, after 10 years away, he's back. In Law & Order Organized Crime, Stabler is battling a wealthy, shadowy criminal and also recovering from a personal tragedy that's left him more angry than ever. I'm Aisha Harris. And I'm Linda Holmes. And today we're talking about Law & Order Organized Crime on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. So don't go away. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Ursa Major Skincare, obsessively crafting clean face and body care essentials made with a spirit of adventure. Ursa Major's fantastic face wash, made with cedar, spearmint, and lime, is designed to keep your face feeling fresh and clean while transporting you to the great outdoors. Enter code POP at ursamajorvt.com for 20% off your order. I'm Yoe Shaw. I'm Kia Miakonatis. We're the hosts of the NPR podcast, Invisibilia. You can think of Invisibilia kind of like a sonic blacklight. When you switch us on, you'll hear surprising and intimate stories. Stories that help you notice things in your world that maybe you didn't see before. Listen to the Invisibilia podcast from NPR. Welcome back. It is just me and Aisha today. Always a pleasure to be here with you, Aisha. A couple of things... First of all, not by design, we recorded this conversation last week on April 21st, the day after Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was convicted of murdering George Floyd. It's obviously a raw moment with a lot of things in flux that are relevant to this discussion, including other incidents of police violence that are still being investigated. We just kind of wanted to clarify what the timing is of this discussion Second of all, we did have a kind of basic discussion of the Law & Order universe in 2018. That episode's actually too old to be in your podcast feed, but you can find it at npr.org. We'll link to it in the newsletter. That's where your kind of uh, Jerry Orbach discussion and stuff like that will be found. In terms of what this show is, and we're going to spoil the beginning of it, Stabler, played by Chris Maloney, originally left very abruptly without even talking to his partner and his best friend, Olivia Benson, who's been holding down the fort at SVU now for 10 years since he left. Naturally, that departure had to do with Maloney's real-life contract negotiations breaking down back in 2011. For the last 10 years, the stories that Elliot and Olivia haven't even spoken, now he's reappeared, also without warning her, only to immediately suffer the loss of his wife, Kathy, who SVU viewers have known for many years. Kathy died in a car bombing. And Elliot is now part of an organized crime unit focused on bringing down Dylan McDermott's rich jerk character, Richard Wheatley. And he's also, of course, now on a Liam Neeson movie style revenge bender because of Kathy. Naturally, these two pursuits are connected. And the show is also very, very slowly rolling out the story of his relationship with Olivia being revived and revisited under these very weird and dark conditions. Um, I want to start with this question. Aisha, I know that you, like me, went back to Stabler as a character after a significant break from this franchise uh, as part of looking at this new show. What did you take away from revisiting this guy in, like, 2021? 
This is such a fascinating character to watch and not necessarily a fun character to watch. I stopped watching SVU after watching it devotedly from probably season one or season two up until I want to say around season 17, 18. So like five or six seasons ago, you know, I stuck around a little bit after Stabler left and it just wasn't doing it for me. I think Stabler and Benson, that was the glue of the show. And so without him it just doesn't have the same crackle. The relationship they had was just great. Stabler, when I look back on him and having gone back and rewatched some episodes, you know, in this climate, it is troubling to see the way in which the show kind of made me complicit in this idea of the police, even though I've never, you know, I've never been that type of person who's rah, rah, police are going to save the day. I think Right. The same conversations we've been having about all of these shows bubbled up to the surface again for me while rewatching these earlier episodes. There's one episode in particular from SVU, it's season seven, where it really kind of shows the way in which policing is such a impenetrable force in some ways and the way in which they are able to sort of rally around each other and protect themselves um, to the detriment of the public, who they are supposed to serve. And in this episode, he winds up having to arrest the son of a former colleague of his for allegedly attempting to assault a friend. And so he tells the victim and her parents, maybe you shouldn't press charges because it's just going to be worse for you. And so there's a scene where Cragen, um, who's Stabler's boss, uh, played by Dan Florick, comes up to him. And basically, we've seen this scene many times in SVU, where one of his bosses, usually Cragen, is dressing him down for something he shouldn't have done. Let's actually just hear a little clip of that from season What are you doing? You told the Sawyers that Pamela's better off not making a complaint. Did Olivia tell you that? No, Pamela's parents. This is worse than breaking the rules this time. You put the entire squad's credibility on the line. But you did everything you could to get your ex-partner's kid a pass. As of right this minute, you are on vacation. Just get your ass out of my sight before I do something we both regret. This happens so many times throughout SVU. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. it happens again in organized crime. What the hell, Ellie? I just wanted to see the reaction when I said Lenski's name. This isn't your house anymore. You can't just bust in and put your feet up on the table and do whatever you damn please. Connection to Lenski is the first concrete evidence that we've got that I may have been targeted. Which makes keeping you on this even more of a conflict for me. This program is my baby, Elliot. You know that. And a lot of people wanted to shut it down before I recruited you. You've been my poster boy for why the system works. But what happened at the courthouse this morning could have blown that all to hell. But like because we're in 2021, the the writers and the showrunners are attempting to sort of like gloss over it, even though I they clearly don't think they're glossing over it. And I'd I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, Linda, on like <laughs> the way in which they try to play this up in, in organized crime. You know, this has been one of my binge viewing comfort franchises forever, which is a very bizarre thing to say (laughs) now to me. But I completely went off of it, you know, last summer when we were having and hearing a lot of really good conversations that people have had before. It was completely on me not to have acted on them before that. When I went back to it, I... In some ways, I still find it eminently bingeable, and I understand why I used to lose so much time to it. But boy, are the specifics of it glaring in terms of what is at issue. And I actually wrote about this in the newsletter a couple of weeks ago that, you know, you you start to notice things even more than before, like, uh, and this is across all the different franchises, 
threatening to call immigration on people who haven't done anything wrong if they don't cooperate. Threatening people with sexual assault in prison is something that they are very commonly guilty of doing. And also, maybe most shocking to me when I go back and see it now is essentially the threat of extrajudicial execution, which is basically saying to people, well, you say you don't want to cooperate because you're afraid of these dangerous people who will kill you if you cooperate. If you don't cooperate, we're just going to make it look like you did. And then they'll kill you anyway. And that is monstrous and absolutely something that should not happen. Now, the interesting thing to me, and I think you put your finger on it, is in some ways the dynamics of Stabler and some of the other police in this franchise are shedding light on things that I think do really happen. The problem is the franchise will never come to terms with the fact that it means they should not be police officers or that we should not have this kind of police officer. Do you know what I mean? And there's a really good piece that that was in Vulture last year from Catherine Van Arendonk, who wrote about how the issue is going to always be the same as long as the police are the center of the story. And moving forward to the kind of organized crime slash current SVU storyline, SVU has also been dealing with kind of the post-George Floyd protest um, moment by talking a lot about the NYPD, how they handled protests, how they've been doing all these different uh, functions. And there was a guy who was arrested and sued the police department and named Olivia. Uh, this is the Mariska Hargitay character named Olivia. And it's a very kind of diligent examination of all the things that the police did in this situation and do in other situations that they should not do. But the ideas for how to resolve those things come from Olivia, who sort of slips them to this guy who's suing her. And she's kind of like, what you should do is you should call for more civilian oversight. And he, who is a black man suing the NYPD, is like, hmm, keep talking. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> he, This man would not need to go to a white woman police officer to slip him ideas for what to ask for, that's bizarre. But it's because, as Ka and this is what Catherine talked about, it's because it's the story of the police officers. It's about the police officers. So what the police officers are doing is always going to be the center of the show. And in terms of what they did with Stabler bringing him back, here's what I think is bizarre. They decided to bring him back in, to me, the least interesting way possible. The ways that he was before are really ripe for re-examination. What they decided to do was kind of, first of all, change the entire dynamic of the show so that he never really interacts with defendants other than this one terrifying super criminal and his associates, but also to give him this profound personal tragedy so that now his anger and his grudge holding and his desire to set fire to everyone he's thinking about arresting is all justified. And it's the least interesting thing in the world to me to be like, what if he was more of a rage ball? Like, no, that's not interesting. And, and they've completely, you can tell I'm fired up about this. They've completely like punted on exploring what happened with him and Olivia. They're doling it out so slowly to try to make people watch both shows. What is your feeling about bringing him back in that, like I said, that kind of Liam Neeson movie revenge capacity? What I see is a show trying to have its cake and eat it too. Oh boy, yes. It is trying to give itself points for even addressing the issue, for having the conversation. Um, and like you said, the fact that they give him this personal tragedy in many ways excuses, because he still keeps doing what he's always been doing. He's still badgering 
possible suspects. He's butting his nose where he shouldn't be. Also, this is a personal case that he shouldn't be involved in at all. Of course not. The difference now is that they now have a new boss who is also telling him this and a new partner who is a black woman who is also telling him this. Uh, there are multiple scenes where they, they have this moment that feels like ripped from a Twitter thread. She's talking about how she knows his background. She knows that he's like been involved in six shootings and not all of them might have been justified. I'm getting pretty sick and tired of everybody judging who I was from 12 years ago. I was a damn good cop then. I'm a better cop now. You talk to my people in Rome. You talk to anybody I've ever worked with. I already did. And? And I observed you firsthand threatening witnesses that are essential to my case. It won't happen again. Oh, it will happen again. Guys who came up when you did, you guys never think you really need to change your ways. Really? You know you're profiling me right now? Detective Stabler, you don't know a damn thing about being profiled. At this point, I've only seen the first three episodes. Um, as the the episodes go on, she eventually like starts making excuses for him to other people where she's just like, well, you know, he's he's a good cop. He knows what he's doing. And I'm like, <laughs> what is happening? I don't understand. Do, is, is he a good cop or, or is he in over his head? It wants to be of this moment. And I think that it it is of this moment, but not in the way it wants to be because these are the conversations we're having. Much of the conversation from police officers right now is around the idea that reform is all we need, one bad apple, blah, blah, blah. And this show is very much feeding into that sort of nature. And on top of that, it is a weird format for Law & Order because it is not the procedural, situ um, situational, every episode is a different story. It is just one long storyline with Dylan McDermott as the villain. Uh, I don't want to watch this. It seems like a very middle-of-the-road CBS drama. Yes. I, 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 it's not even entertaining anymore. Yeah. I kind of had this feeling like, what if you took everything about Law & Order, despite the fact that it's always been, um, you know, problematic's an overused word, but that it's always been deeply, deeply flawed. What if you took the things about it that were bingeable and sort of entertaining and you took all that stuff out? <laughs> So you don't have the rhythm that keeps people engaged in it, which is the sort of, you know, the, you know, the red herring solution and then the real solution and then the resolution, which is either mm, justice, but imperfect or uh, no justice, but we'll keep going. Like, that's what happens in a Law and Order episode. It's not that complicated. And they took that all out. So you don't get that. He doesn't solve cases. He doesn't solve crimes. How could it be Law and Order? He doesn't solve crimes. And, and at the same time, he's doing all these really, you know, as you said, like, uh, now he's even more unethical. He does something in the first, like, episode that's so completely inappropriate, and then he lies about it, and he covers it up, and it's like, well, now he's a monster, but it's okay because they killed his wife, who was a, you know, lovely character who they've had some nice episodes with in the past. They kill the wife so that now he can do whatever he wants, and they can kind of point to that. I think the people who write and make SVU are generally well-meaning and have in the past done some good work around trauma associated with sexual assault in some cases, but they're, they're still cop shows. Fundamentally, they're still cop shows, and there's only so much you can do about it. I think you're exactly right that it's a having your cake and eating it too thing. And ultimately, I agree with our great friend, R. Eric Thomas, who said, 
on Twitter that like the closest they are to making this show work, this organized crime show, is when it's the closest to camp. Is when like you have that Dylan McDermott turtleneck oh, like it, <laughs> intensity that's just so corny and it's almost it's almost funny it's almost camp like his delivery of this really chewy like i'll get you and then elliot being like no i'll get you <laughs> like it's 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 almost alec baldwin and will arnett growling at each other on 30 rock yes. like it's you almost can get there but it's ultimately i think really unsatisfying man <laughs> i mean I, I i love that camp point because the camp is is probably my favorite aspect of the new version and it's weird to go back and rewatch the earlier episodes because i spent so many years watching the original svu unironically and now i realize that like yeah. it's actually really really campy and silly you know sometimes for the better and sometimes not for the better you know law and order organized crime i I, I don't I didn't need it. <laughs> and I don't think I'll keep watching. Me neither. And I and I think the the only other thing that we absolutely I think are obligated to cover is that they did do yet another version of the theme song. Oh, I hate it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's sad. You know what it sounds like to me? Do you know the Christmas music from Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Mannheim Steamroller? Like some of those some of those like electronic orchestral Christmas music situations. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. We're going to play a little bit of it. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Christmas music, Law and Order. And no, like, they don't have the dun-dun. They don't have the the switch from scene to scene with the little cards. They threw out the entire format to have turtlenecks. Well, uh, one one final point I'd make is that, like, they also, the intro, you know how at the beginning of SVU or in every Law and Order, they're like, in New York City, sexually-based crimes, blah, 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 blah. And this one, like, they're yet again using, like, really, really vivid language to describe, like, to, just to make sure that you know just how terrible these defendants are. So it's like, yeah. again, we're on the side right. of the, the police um, because right. all of these people are vicious people who deserve to be taken down. Right. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So, look... SVU, Aisha and I have both spent a lot of time with it. We understand and we want to know what you think of SVU, of Original Law & Order, of Criminal Intent, if that's your jam, and of course of Law & Order, Organized Crime, Turtleneck Edition. <laughs> you can find us at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. Aisha, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Linda. And thank you for listening. We will see you right back here tomorrow. Tomorrow. 